Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, December 7th. A North County family's quest to help a Russian relative escape the war against Ukraine. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Housing, immigration, and the fentanyl crisis. All part of a packed agenda for San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria as he visits Washington, D.C., His schedule included a meeting with the U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to discuss the migration challenges at the U.S.-Mexico border. Gloria also spoke at a national housing conference and told White House officials fentanyl should become a Schedule I drug. In an effort to combat homelessness, Mayor Gloria and City Council President Sean Ila Rivera released a proposed framework yesterday to provide better protections for tenants. It incorporates input gathered over the last month from residents, tenant advocates, and rental housing providers. The mayor has directed city staff and the city attorney's office to draft an amended ordinance to bring the framework before the city council sometime next year. If passed, it would offer renters more protection from wrongful evictions and create resources for renters and rental housing providers consistent with state law. With the holidays right around the corner, the shopping malls are getting crowded, and with the crowds come thieves. So local crime prevention specialists are warning everyone to stay alert and be cautious of your surroundings. Some tips the San Diego Sheriff's Department is giving to help keep you safe include shopping during the day when possible, shopping with someone, and don't overload your arms with packages and bags. From KPBS... You're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. As Russia's war on Ukraine continues to rage, KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has a story of a North County family torn apart by the war and kept apart by U.S. immigration policy. Russia's war on Ukraine is personal for Bruce and Elena Talley. My wife is Russian, and this uh, Russia's unprovoked aggression in Ukraine has disturbed us greatly. But Elena still has family in Russia. She says they're harassed because they're against the war. If you talk with people, people call you a traitor. Then Elena's brother, Sergei Svodersky, got drafted by the Russian army. She translated his words to us during a Zoom call. 
He said, absolutely, that was my decision from the day one, that that's just no choice. That's scary because in Russia, I know that they will put me in prison. Go to Ukraine never was a choice. So he packed a small bag, kissed his mother goodbye, and left the only home he's ever known, planning to stay with his sister in America. And I never thought I will be in a situation like this. I never thought I will be escaping. The journey would be perilous. Just to get to the Russian border took days. I saw 20 years old guys who are crossing the borders. They have white faces from stress and shock. Eventually, he met up with his brother-in-law, Bruce, in Mexico City. Their plan? to go to Tijuana to cross the border into the U.S. Sergei was very nervous. He really wants to get political asylum in the United States because if he doesn't get political asylum, he's in big trouble. He, he doesn't have a future in Russia. Bruce recorded their journey on his cell phone. Okay, I'm here with Sergei. He's about ready to go across the border and, or go to the border and apply for political asylum. But he says they were stopped by the U.S. Border Patrol before they could even reach the border. They immediately put a traffic cone in front of the car. The Border Patrol officer came over and asked for our documents. I handed our passports over. He says they explained their situation to a supervisor. He told me that it was impossible to apply at the border for political asylum. And this was a surprise to me. Their experience is not a surprise to immigration attorney Lola Saharova, who specializes in civil rights and Russian immigration cases. She says she never advises clients to present themselves at the southern border because of Title 42, a Trump-era rule that prevents people from seeking asylum at the southern border. You hear the stories of uh, cartels controlling access to the border. People sometimes have to pay money to a coyote, to be taken to the border. So it's, it's kind of a last resort, but people choose to present themselves at the border despite all the dangers, which I think speaks for how desperate they are. Title 42 is set to be repealed on December 21st. But Sergei has already left Tijuana because of a call from his mother saying she was having stroke symptoms. This really upset Sergei. He, he said, I'm killing my mother. I've come here. I've been treated just the way I would be treated by Russia. And he decided against my better judgment, he was going to leave. Sergei can't go back to Russia, though. The arrest warrant has been issued against him. We're in a very, very difficult situation. He's now in Central Asia. More than a month has gone by, and the tallies are now worried about Sergei and his mental state. He's depressed. He's upset. He doesn't know what to to do next. Elena says when she speaks with her brother now, he talks about maybe going back to Russia, even if it means arrest. It's horrifying when I'm thinking that he cannot, he, he still can be in the war. He still can be in the danger just because nobody will, would give him a chance. Now she just wants someone to help put the pieces of her family back together. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. About four in ten small businesses were victims of cyber attacks last year, causing billions in damages. KPBS's Alexander Wynn takes a look at the city of San Diego's newly launched Cyber Lab that seeks to help small businesses and public agencies ward off cyber attacks. 
the city of San Diego got nearly a million dollars from the Department of Homeland Security to set up a regional resource to combat cybercrime. Darren Bennett is the city's chief information security officer. If cybercrime was its own economy, world economy, it would be the third largest after the U.S. and China. He says it's a huge problem, not only for government agencies, but also for small businesses. That's why the Cyber Lab is here to share resources and spot vulnerabilities. For more information about the resources available at the regional Cyber Lab, visit sandiego.gov slash cyber lab. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. Barrio Logan residents may be getting relief from pungent odors coming from a biofuels plant on Newton Avenue. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. New Leaf biofuel officials say a new activated carbon filter system is up and running, and one resident says she's noticed a difference. Maria Fernanda Corral lives across the street from the factory. Today we're very thankful that it's a good day. That way we can come out on the patio, we can do our plants, we can even see it for a little while or take sun. That plant's new filter system is designed to contain the pungent odors generated when the cooking oil is turned into diesel fuel. Neighbors have been complaining about the smell for more than a year, and the company had until December 9th to fix the issue. Air quality regulators will inspect and track the situation at least through next spring. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Coming up, a new report says Balboa Park will need a lot of upkeep to last into the future. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. This is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can, all right? Thanks. Balboa Park has been part of San Diego for more than 150 years, but a new report says if it's going to be around for another 150, it needs a lot of work that will cost a lot of money. Here's KPBS reporter John Carroll. Balboa Park is known as the crown jewel of San Diego for good reason, but the jewel is losing its luster. A new report from the Burnham Center for Community Advancement says deferred maintenance and updated facilities are just part of the challenge. The report says nearly half a billion dollars is needed to bring the park up to snuff. A big part of the challenge is how the park is managed, says Burnham Center CEO Tad Parson. The systems that drive the park are decades old. The infrastructure is aging, 
and what we built decades ago to serve the community and maintain the park, we've just outgrown it. The report lists a number of suggestions on how to improve the park, including a cabinet-level department in the city to manage it so that it's around for generations to come. John Carroll, KPBS News. Improvements in North Park are also underway. Property owners this year approved a new tax on themselves to fund extra cleanups, landscaping, and other improvements on streets and storefronts. iNewsource reporter Crystal Niebla explains. North Park's new tax will replace an expiring one, and it'll be 29% higher. The affected properties run generally along University Avenue and 30th Street. Joe Wambacher, who lives within the area affected by the new tax, says he has noticed dirtier streets and gutters. So getting taxed for the maintenance is worth it. I, I personally wouldn't be opposed to a modest increase in taxes if they kept the streets clean. The tax faced some opposition but ultimately passed with 60% support. Property owners' votes were rated based on the value of their properties. For KPBS, I'm iNewsource reporter Crystal Niebla. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Last month, PlayStation released God of War Ragnarok, an action-adventure game developed by Santa Monica Studio. If you have played the game, then you have probably killed San Diego stuntman Fernando J. Huerto more than once. KPBS Hearts reporter Beth Hacomando has worked with Huerto on some of his 48-hour film projects and spoke to him about doing mocap or motion captive work for the video game. Jay, when most people think about stunt work, they may think about The Fall Guy or Burt Reynolds in Hooper, but what different kinds of things can a stunt person do these days? Well, not only stunt people work in movies and television, they do live shows like in theme parks or motion capture for video games, TV and film. Now for stunt work, you've done things like jump off of buildings and get into fights and get kicked across rooms. So that's probably not the kind of thing that most people think about doing as a career. So what was it that kind of inspired you to become a stunt person? What inspired me to become a stunt person is Jackie Chan, number one. Like I saw him in Rumble in the Bronx for the first time and I decided like, hey, I want to do that. That looks cool. Now, one of the most recent things you've done is mocap work for a video game called God of War. Now, mocap is motion capture. So before we talk about the game, just tell me a little bit about what does motion capture actually entail? So motion capture entails movement for video games or even TV and movies. So they put this suit on you that has reflective markers or LED lights, depending on the system and it records the performer's movements and the programmers and the animators and director, they could put it directly into the scene in the game using Unreal Engine or whatever type of software or uh, program that they use to create their project. So what is it like for you as a stunt person to be acting in this kind of suit where you're not really in the real world? Doing stunts in motion capture is heaven. You don't have to hide pads. It could be right there and the software's not going to capture that. They're only going to capture th what's uh, reflected on the markers that are on your suit. So I could, could hit the ground all day for eight hours a day and I, I'm still fine and you know I'm not banged up for the next day of work. 
So for this particular game, God of War, what kind of motion capture work did you do? For God of War Ragnarok, for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4, I had to do a lot of reactions. I had to sell a lot of the hits for the player character, Kratos, the, 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 the character that you know, you know, the, the gamer controls. So I'm taking the hits like from the axe or the, the chaos blades and I'm just doing eight hours of like doing different reactions like getting slashed, getting my head lopped off, getting my body like split in half by Kratos with the axe. So it's just me just trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to, how do I sell this animation? So it's like that. It's also problem solving. How do I sell this hit? How do I sell this hit that's over the top or it's not realistic, no physics? You know, you, 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 know, you just have to use your imagination and then let the animators take it from there. What's your collaboration like on this? I mean, are you bringing a lot to it in terms of how the fight choreography is done or are you just there kind of reacting to direction? Uh, I'm reacting to direction. It's usually the animators, the director, and the stunt coordinator communicating to us uh, what is happening. So uh, my buddy Eric Jacobus, who uh, also hired me onto the project, he plays Kratos, the, the, the character that the, the player controls. So he gives me the direction on what to do. He's like, I'm going to do this hit and this hit. I'm like, okay, I'll sell it this way and this way. How, what do you think? And he's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. And then the animators and directors, they guide us from there and adjust anything that they need us to do. And what is it like to see the final product after you've worked on it? I am a huge gamer, so it was thrilling to be in probably the biggest franchise of Sony PlayStation ever. So getting to see my work, I mean, actually playing the game, being a fan, and I get to play Kratos, and I get to kill me in a way. <laughs> I think this is, one, yep, this is one of my scenes. Yep, that's me. That is me. Cause like I'm doing the reactions to all the hits, so I'm like I'm 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 most I'm, I think I'm a lot of the characters since I'm just reacting to hits. So I'm like oh I'm killing myself here, killing myself there. It's just so weird to think about, really. That was Fernando J. Huerto speaking with KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. God of War Ragnarok became PlayStation's fastest-selling game. You can see Huerto's work on his YouTube channel, Jabroni Pictures. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.